What's going on, everyone? This is Nolan Sampron with Infinite Banking Radio. And again, I'm excited about today's episode. We got a guy coming on. His name is Seth Hicks. He is a infinite banking practitioner and also a uh, licensed practicing attorney in California. So he does everything with life insurance, but also his main game and gambit is asset protection. And so he goes into some really awesome details about the things that he does for his clients uh, regarding asset protection, how they structure real estate transactions. And he goes, he even goes into a little bit of a history lesson on how life insurance uh, was actually the way that people used to bank before uh, the Federal Reserve was created back in 1913. So this episode is, is really great because uh, Seth is such a knowledgeable guy and he goes into some even more uh, unique details about how to essentially, when you do a real estate transaction, uh, remove your fingerprints so you never have an opportunity uh, for creditors to come after you or have litigation pressed on you. So uh, it's a really great episode and crazy insightful. I know you guys are going to enjoy this, but uh, before we get started, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. My Financial Snapshot is the official sponsor of the Infinite Banking Radio Podcast. My Financial Snapshot builds personal financial tools to help you track your finances. Their Snapshot tool is the first easy-to-use and reusable personal financial statement builder available online. It's the perfect solution for real estate investors and business owners. Their budgeting tool takes the hassle of budgeting away and lets you focus on the results of your budget. Individuals can get unlimited access to their tools and educational resources for $44.99 a year or $6.99 a month. For Infinite Banking Radio listeners, use coupon code INFINITE20 for 20% off your subscription for life. Use the link in the description and get started making personal finance easy and simple today. Seth Hicks, thanks so much for coming on the Infinite Banking Radio podcast, man. How's it going? Doing great, Nolan. Thanks for having me, man. Really excited to talk with you. Absolutely. Like I, like I said in the intro, uh, you've got such a unique uh, business just going back and forth with uh, life insurance and and then also not to mention entity structure and protection uh, as you're an attorney. And so, uh, man, I, I really want to dive into it a little bit. Can you kind of, but before we kind of go into it, like you just to talk more about, you know, how you got into this idea and, and um, the business and the and the structures that you do now. Sure. Well, yeah, I've been practicing attorney for going on three decades now, and I, I worked in a large firm uh, doing real estate transactions initially for large banks and also doing development deals and uh, the real estate uh section was an anchor of the law firm. So we got some good uh, chops, so to speak, and experience in that. And then I spun out and did uh, went to back to work for myself in a little boutique business law firm where I actually tried cases and structured uh, commercial transactions and real estate transactions for clients. Like I said, we're going on 23, uh, 24 years now. So I, the way I got into infinite banking was actually through a client and a client said, Hey, you really need to check this out. Uh, take a look at this. And at first when he was describing it, you know, I thought, well, this is gimmicky. This is, uh, this doesn't seem to be, um, something that I'm interested in, but as I actually started to research it and I looked into some of the laws that protect these insurance policies that I realized that there's a superior way to structure transactions using life insurance policies. And there's a superior way to protect your assets uh, with life insurance policies that you don't have to do anything 
uh, special, jump through any special hoops or go offshore with, uh, you know, offshore entities and structures. And you don't have to be even that smart. All you got to do is sign the contract with the life insurance company. And if you're in the right uh, jurisdiction, you're automatically protected. So that was kind of the genesis of it as a client brought me to it. So can you go into some of the... um... Like you mentioned, I mean, I know when we when we talk about infinite banking, we always preach how important um, uh, asset protection is, uh, and how you know a, a judgment depending upon your state and, like you said, jurisdictions, um, creditors cannot attach liens to your policy and things like that. Can you go into some details on how powerful these life insurance policies can be in regards to creditor protection and asset protection? Sure. Yeah. So the life insurance industry is regulated at the state level. It doesn't have a federal code or a law that uh, applies to life insurance contracts and companies abroad. It's state by state. And so interestingly enough, after the Civil War, many of the southern states enacted laws which tried to protect against carpet bagging. So, and the Southern states protected their citizens through homestead protection laws and in their life insurance policies. Because as you probably know, Nolan, uh, you know, before the, the current era in the 1900s, after the creation of the Federal Reserve and branch banking, uh, life insurance policies were the way that people banked. So from the inception of the country all the way up into this phenomenon, which people are brainwashed to think is the only way to bank in branch banking, it was life insurance banking. And so the states thereby protected those life insurance contracts because they knew that's where their citizens put their money. They banked in life insurance contracts and they knew that their homesteads were important to their citizens. So they protected their homesteads. So you'll find states like Texas, Oklahoma, Florida, all these southern states south of the Mason-Dixon line have laws on the books which protect their life insurance contracts and protect homesteads in a lot greater fashion than northern states or western states although there are some outliers there you know some states have do have protections in place yeah there's always uh you know an outlier somewhere but um but but we always like to just joke and say hey if you're if you're in the southeast you're 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 just going to be fine <laughs> um well, can you go into, you know, like you said or, uh, while we were just speaking a minute ago, um, talk more about your real estate business, what you guys do at your law firm, um, and how you help clients, again, protect their assets. Sure. Well, the anchor is utilizing the the infinite banking uh, concept to anchor your transactions and you effectively create entities which act as a lending entity on your transactions and whether you're syndicating money or whether you're doing deals by yourself you you always want to get the money back you want to create a system whereby the money that you have into the deals is one secured and collateralized and two is also returning to your bank just like uh, any other bank that lends money like well Fargo, Bank of America, Chase, or any other lender, they're going to collateralize that asset. They're going to secure their loan with adequate uh, collateral and equity in the deal such that if payments stop, 
they're going to foreclose and take the asset back, liquidate that asset, and make their loan good. So you have to think like a banker. That's one of the fundamental concepts and cornerstones in the transactions is you have to create a banking system, which is the insurance policy as the anchor of that, um, to lever these deals and to collateralize these deals. Now, once you've got that, that mindset in place, um, you've got a cash flow where you're getting multiple touches on the same dollar. The money that you paid in for a premium, you're also borrowing out in a, a policy loan. You're taking that same dollar and you're buying a real estate asset, in our example, which spins off rental cash flow back uh, in debt service to your bank. And thereby, you've created this cyclical uh, volume of money that's at work for you. And that we call that the velocity of money. So that's kind of the 30,000 overfoot view of that. So can you give us an example of, of kind of what that transaction would look like? You know, if, if somebody's out there and they like what you're saying, they hear, man, I like infinite banking. Um, I don't really know what the structure of that looks like in the collateral side of things. What does a typical transaction look like involving a life insurance policy like that? Sure. Well, your your lending entity is going to have the right to borrow funds out of your life insurance contract. And that's a contractual arrangement uh, between the owner of the policy and the lender. And when the lender borrows that money, then they effectively put it to work, just like Wells Fargo or Bank of America uh, or any other lender. And it looks just like any other uh, loan transaction where you've got a borrower that's entering into uh, a promissory note and a loan agreement, and the lender secures that the payment of that promissory note and loan agreement through a deed of trust or a mortgage, depending on the state. And that's in like, let's say, a smaller residential type transaction. Uh, but if you've got a commercial context where we have business owners who have a lot of need for revolving credit and they have large cash values in their policies and their lenders are able to fund millions of dollars, we'll structure it in the form of a revolving commercial line of credit, whereby if they're buying farm equipment or they're, you know, they need inventory, they need uh, additional uh, human capital, they're paying for more uh, employees, whatever the case may be, they've got that line of credit to draw down from their policy in, but yet they still secure all of that those payments, just like you would in a smaller real estate transaction, through a security agreement and something called the UCC-1 financing statement, which secures uh, collateral that can move around, uh, including you know things with wills, uh, accounts receivable, intellectual property, paper property, um, and th thereby the lender effectively has the first lien interest on those assets of the business or on the first uh, asset that's a real estate asset. I want to take a step back and I want I would like you to talk about um, life insurance. And like you said, you have not only are you a practicing attorney, but you also are an infinite banking practitioner. You use these in your own lives and, and when you're purchasing real estate. How have you used uh, your life insurance policies and how have some of maybe your clients have used these policies to go in and and uh, do the deals that you're kind of describing? 
Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a typical transaction for let's just say bring it down to simple mom and pop type building blocks. Someone even out there that's interested in buying their first piece of real estate, um, they they've got a policy that's in place and as it's seasoned and has the cash value available, they take a policy loan out of that contract out of their life insurance contract. They take the cash value out and they fund a lending entity. Uh, that lending entity then lends the money to a borrower and the borrower purchases the asset like the real estate asset. And uh, then effectively the rental income comes back. They service the debt. They top off their policy again and they rinse and repeat. So let's take a look at like a duplex, for example. In some places in the South and uh, Southeast, you could buy a duplex for $100,000. It's not uh, going to have marble floors, but you know it's, <laughs> it's going to bring some cash flow. So if you have a $100,000 duplex and you purchase that uh, duplex through money through your private bank, uh, you're effectively got a first lien through through your private bank on that asset. The rents come coming through, and let's say it's a thousand dollars a door in rental income. So you'll have two thousand dollars a month or twenty four thousand uh, dollars a year in rental income coming back. And for the sake of our uh, example. We won't get too granular and think about, you know, maintenance and taxes and yeah. insurance, but let's just say you got a gross income, 24000 You take that $24,000 on a monthly basis, you pay back your, your loan to the insurance company, your cash value steps up every month, and you've got that cash value ready to deploy for another asset. Um, with that example, in four, a little over four years, not taking into account the PITI, the uh, vacancy factors, any of those other issues, you're going to pay that loan uh, back with your bank and you rinse and repeat. Or here's another idea to throw at you. If you want to use the concept of leverage, you could take that $100,000, spread it across five duplexes, go out there and find 80% uh, loan to value financing from a, a, another third party lender. And you've ramped up your, your gross cash flow by 5x there. And you've also ramped up your velocity and your cycle of money so that you're paying back your policy in a much more rapid fashion. And you effectively pay off those 80% uh, LTV lenders very quickly within a couple of years. And you own that property free and clear only uh, indebted to your private lender bank. Yeah. You know, and one thing too, Seth, that, you know, when I have guys come in our office and we talk about, you know, should we do, um, we're thinking about doing this or we're thinking about doing this. It's, Fact is, infinite banking is not an or asset. It's an and asset. You get to do both at the same time. And so most people would say, okay, I'm going to go buy this duplex um, and that's all I can do with it. But if you actually funnel money through a policy first and then borrow the money out to go do those deals, you're going to have your money still continuing to compound in the policy. All the while, you've got the line of credit of the insurance company's money out deployed in the marketplace. So you're able to kind of earn on both sides of the coin. Can you kind of speak on that just a little bit? Sure. I, I mean, I think in essence, we're, we're talking about uh, 
direct recognition versus non-direct recognition policies. And when you take the money out of those policies, uh, in effect, in a non-direct recognition, it continues to be calculated as if it were there. And you've got that compounding tax-free uh, growth in the inside the policy that your initial premium purchases, and you've also got the money that you've taken out, and it's at work in a real estate investment. So you've got the double the double dip there, and that kind of blows people's minds to think, well, I, you know, how can I use the same dollar more than once? But that's exactly how you do it. And um, I, where this really picks up speed, and you start start to see a parabolic increase is that when the policy becomes more and more efficient after years five, six, seven, and eight. And when you're putting in a dollar of premium and cash value, you're seeing a dollar ten, dollar fifteen, dollar twenty coming back in cash value to you. That's twenty percent that you didn't even put in that you can actually that you're getting compounding growth on, and that you're able to pull out and put to work for yourself in another place. There's no other business on earth like that. No, you're exactly right. And I'll tell you one thing too, Seth, that has has really blown a lot of my clients' minds is. Um, obviously everyone says, oh, I don't want to pay interest on my own money. Well, again, we're not using your own money. We're using the insurance company's money. But when I say, you know, I've got, I got a client that's actually a, a private hard money lender and he'll go and take policy loans and lend it out at 12% and pay the insurance company back at 4%. Well, most people would hear that transaction and they would do the simple math of 12 minus four equals 8%. And that's nothing to write home to mom about. But if we actually look at what he earned and then we subtract the cost of, or divide it by the cost of capital, he's actually earning 300%. 12 divided by four is three. So he's making 300% using someone else's money. All the while, his capital is still, like you said, compounding and growing in his policy. There's there's really nowhere else out there in the world or any other financial investment instrument that can provide guaranteed contractual results similar to those. That's right. I mean, well said. And I think also it's it's important to understand the the power of of tax free growth within the system. I mean, when you compare this, uh, you know, one side of the equation where you're paying taxes on the money, and we do this analysis occasionally for people that have large sums in four hundred one ks or other government qualified plans, and say that's really not your money in there, right. and you're going to pay the 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 piper at some point. And do you know what you're going to pay the piper? Do you know what the tax rate's going to be? And the answer is no, you don't. And with the G, you know, the gross national debt at $31.5 trillion right now, and the printing of money continuing to just be uh, out of control, it devalues the, the dollar. And you go, well, is that, well how, why does that relate? Well, it relates because the only way to try uh, to balance that is through taxation. And they're going to tax the people with the money. This is something that politicians and the ultra wealthy have been using for centuries. And it's pursuant to Internal Revenue Code 7702 that says, hey, these life insurance contracts uh, are a tax free silo. And so that's why you've got the likes of John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon, uh, Ray Kroc, who founded uh, McDonald's, J.C. Penney's, you know, and on and on and on. Smart people are using this system for the same reasons and fundamental, uh, you know, values that we're describing. Well, and not to mention, too, to go on what you just said, it's 
Um, the government is continuing to print money. We're going to keep going into more debt. We're going to keep devaluing the dollar. And like you said, it's the solution, sadly, is either continuing to print more money or to raise income through, like you said, taxation. We don't really have any other way of doing it. And the the worst part is if it's a qualified plan, it's a, a an asset that the government created um, – they can change the rules. I mean, who's to say that, like you said a minute ago, the, the tax laws today are the laws today. Who's to say that when um, the demographics and the financials change on our balance sheet as a country in the next 20, 30 years, um, that they can't say, hey, guys, I know we told you one thing, but we're going to have to change rules. And there's nothing you can do about it because your dollars are, are locked up. Well, hopefully investors like you and I, we have substantial cash value in our policies that aren't susceptible to the market or the government. We're going to be able to be taking advantage of massive opportunities while a lot of other people are just going to be swimming upstream. You're exactly right. And I, th I think that, you know, our audience probably is of the opinion that they're a better manager of their finances than the, the federal and state governments. And, you know, if you look at various uh programs created, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, you look at various uh, things that have been implemented that are more socialistic in, in their planning, they're all, they're, they're all the failing. If they haven't already failed, they, they they will fail. No one thinks that there's going to be enough Social Security money to go around. It's really a Ponzi scheme. Uh, and as you know, our children are. We probably won't have any relevant Social Security. But th that's why we're not banking on that. That's why we're we're implementing other systems where I, I believe that, and my clients believe that they're better managers of their financial. Uh, future and their financial freedom than the government is. And if you put your, you know, your eggs in under their control, you lock up your money in these 401ks, 403bs, other qualified plans, uh, you're, you're effectively to blame because you don't have to play in that sandbox. There, there are alternatives. And that's what we're trying to do and, uh, you know, educate folks as to alternatives and why they're so far superior um, to these other government qualified plans, but people have been brainwashed. I mean, they think you know the branch banking is the only place that you can you can bank, and they think that you know well you, you've you've got to uh, you know pay your fair share of taxes. You've got to do this. No, actually, I mean it was interesting. If people in the last debate uh, between uh, Clinton and uh, Trump, he said, "Yeah, I don't pay taxes because I'm smart." Right. You know, it just right out there, you know, it's like, I don't pay taxes. Guys worth $10 billion. I don't pay taxes because I'm smart. So there are ways that you can effectively take advantage of laws that are on the books, like Internal Revenue Code 7702, put money in these policies, and it grows and compounds year after year tax-free. You're able to pull that down in a retirement uh, time period, sunset years, whenever you want, fully liquid and no taxation whatsoever on it. Um, so there's one thing I wanted to mention too before we rabbit trail somewhere else was the <laughs> fact that the, the centralized banks are have become increasingly, increasingly less safe place to put your money. And do you know why that is? I'm sure you do, and I don't wanna put you on the spot, but uh, I'll give you a teaser. It's called Dodd-Frank Act. Do you know about the Dodd-Frank Act? Educate our listeners because I'm I'm intrigued by this as well. So the Dodd-Frank Act is misnamed the Consumer Protection Act. Okay. And it was it was passed over a decade ago 
Uh, and effectively, it was passed in response to the bailout that occurred in the 2007-2008 mortgage crisis, where two big-to-fail lending institutions uh, went upside down, and the federal government used taxpayer dollars to bail those private entities, those private corporations, out of insolvency. Well, never before has taxpayer dollars been used to shore up private entities. If they sink, they sink. Uh, that's that. That's the American capitalism. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it was an interesting head fake because what came from it was the Dodd Frank Act, called the Consumer Protection Act, and what that what it effectively put into place was that we're not going to bail out private corporations with taxpayer money anymore. But what we are going to do is we're going to allow banking institutions uh, to bail in on depositors' money in the event of insolvency. Well, what does bail in mean? Well, it means like in Cyprus uh, in, in the early 2010s, I think it was about 2012, Cyprus had a financial crisis and banks bailed in on their depositors' money. Uh, everything over $100,000 they took uh, yeah, 50% of. And so there's still litigation going on, people trying to recover money. They go, well, that's Cyprus. Every European nation has bail-in laws on the books. And you go, well, that's Europe. Well, that's what the Dodd-Frank does, is it's wow. an, it, legislation that allows banks to bail in. And effectively, you you and I think that, you know, if you've got money in Wells Fargo, you got money in Chase or Bank of America, that's our money, right? I mean, I got a statement. It says I got that much money in it. It's my money. No, what it is, is it's an IOU. And it's the bank saying, you, you know, we owe, we owe you this money. But because of fractional banking, and uh, derivative lending, uh, that money's actually not there. If you have $100,000 in the bank, uh, Wells Fargo, for example, they don't they don't have it there. They may have 10,000 on reserve, and that's actually a high estimate. Because right. if they have a lot of deposits, they have less than that, uh, that 10%. We'll call it 10%. Uh, the other 90,000 of your money, your money, they've got out in loans, on real estate, on cars, on businesses that they're making money on. They don't pay you any of it because you don't make any money on your deposits there. And that's called fractional reserve lending. And effectively, that makes you and I the sucker if you put a lot of money there and you keep it there. Um, the next thing I hear, you know, well, if they bail in, I've still got the federal uh, uh, deposit uh, insurance, FDIC. I've got FDIC insurance up to $250,000. Well, some of our clients, that doesn't mean very much because they got a lot more money than that. And you have to diversify among accounts and, you know, it's it, it's a hassle. But here's the bigger issue there is that the FDIC doesn't have the assets to actually insure all of the deposits right. uh, on hand in America. There's $20 trillion uh, in U.S. dollars in deposits from Americans in banks. And the FDIC has a, a small pittance of that uh, on hand to make good on those loans. We're talking less than a penny per right. dollar. Right. And so why would you subject yourself to that if you don't have to? Why would you put your money at risk in a big box bank 
that is where the writing's on the wall. They keep printing money. Banks, there are going to be bank failures, and which ones and how many I think is yet yet to be seen. But I don't even want to subject myself to that risk, and I pray it never does happen because I think it would create chaos in our country. But at the same time, if there's a superior, safe way to bank, that's where you should be banking. No, absolutely, and that's another uh, thought that we try and bring the clients. But, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people are just, they kind of just do what they're told. They just kind of say, oh, my my employer says to go to 401k and match and just do all these things that I think my brother-in-law told me to do, but they really don't use their own thoughts or do their own research or homework to decide, is this actually what's best for me and my family? Because like you said, People don't comprehend that the FDIC is very, very underfunded. Like you said, there's $20 trillion in deposits. You're looking at maybe $80 billion in that account that's able to – so I would look at it and think I would rather have my money if I'm keeping it in a safe somewhere in the riskiest, most aggressive bank ever because they're going to be the first ones to fail, and then they're going to be the first ones to get bailed out by the FDIC with whatever is in that account. So for every you know dollar that's in a checking account somewhere, you got a penny being insured by the FDIC. Well, on the other side of the spectrum, with whole life insurance or mutual insurance companies, for every dollar sitting in cash value, you're going to have anywhere from a dollar to a dollar twenty-five uh, on the other side of that uh, counterparty. So in regards to risk, it feels like the banks are the safest way, but it's the most riskiest place that you can park capital because there's nobody insuring those dollars, and they're simply uh, you know, zeros inside of a, a a computer saying what you have in there. It's crazy. A, it, it is crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But that's part of the brainwashing that's happened to America since uh, the insurance policies were used for banking, and that's why we're. You know, I think you and I both are are grateful for guys like Nelson Nash who brought this back into American culture and really brought it into the light for people to to look at. Uh, but you make a great point in that the insurance companies, they're, they're not able to uh, do fractional reserve lending. They don't, there's no de- derivative lending. There's no funny paperwork. There's no funny math uh, in what they're required to uh, hold on to. So it's dollar plus in reserves for every dollar that you've got uh, in your contract. And um, in my experience, my my partner, he's 70 years old. He's been in money management 40 years. He was a wealth manager before he made the transition into infinite banking. And he said he's seen three life insurance uh, companies fail in those three years. And they were swallowed up overnight by other life insurance companies because of the cash on hand. Mm-hmm. They're really not insolvent at all, and so nothing missed a beat. No, there was no, you know, there's no, there's no policy benefits that aren't paid. There's no nothing. It's just simply a change in names, effectively, and in operations and ownership. Um, now, take a look at. I mean, I remember I was in LA in 2012. There was a bank run on IndyMac Bank. And there was uh, there were riot police on mounted horseback and tanks in Thousand Oaks, California, uh, in the streets to prevent people from mobbing uh, on the bank. And uh, fortunately, I didn't have wow. any money at IndyMac, but there, you know, that that makes for uh, rough times. And so, again, you know, if if you can choose something else that has an asset protection and a vault to it, where you've got complete liquidity. It's in a tax-free environment. 
why wouldn't you make your own rules and play in that sandbox? No, absolutely. And I know your your time is getting short here, Seth, but I wanted to say one thing too, where I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffin. Uh that's a that's one's like I try and read every other year just to but it, it's it's a pretty thick book to read but what you're talking about uh it feels really spooky but it's all factual it's all truth in regards to the Federal Reserve Jekyll Island is a little island off the coast of Georgia where the richest men in the world back in 1910 actually took a train car out there and created the Federal Reserve I mean it's like it reads like a fairy tale storybook but it's real life and so um, what you're talking about is 100% factual, and not to mention all these guys knew all this stuff about life insurance, and they understood the power of keeping money in whole life that's structured for cash value as ways to not only fund deals and to keep money safe, but also to pass on wealth through the next generations. And that's that's kind of one of the things that you and I are really on the same page with with our clients is showing people how to get outside of the matrix and to control their money versus having the IRS, their employer, or uh, anybody else that can get their talents uh, on their money. Amen, brother. <laughs> so I get excited about it. Uh, I know you're the same way as I am. But well, before we get out of here, Seth, do you have? I mean, I, what I'll do is I'll put your information in the link of this bio. But do you have anything else before we get out of here? You know, I I just want to encourage people if this is new, uh, if it's a new concept to you that you that you actually uh, do some critical thinking and and look at what we're saying. I mean, we have a lot of resources on our website. I know you provide a lot of resources as well. Uh, p- people put on your thinking caps and and actually uh, objectively look at the the case that we're making uh, to protect people. Because I think uh, you'll find, like I did, that this is not, uh, it's not a gimmick. Uh, It's not a false uh, bill of goods. It is uh, legitimately the best place to keep your money. It's the best thing to use for entrepreneurship, investment, business acquisition, business startup, business expansion. There's just no, there's no superior method. Uh, And why wouldn't you want to be the bank? Uh, and be able to do your banking in a tax-free environment uh, as opposed to giving all of that money uh, to some other third party. Man, 100%. You got me, you got me fired up on a, uh, on a Wednesday, man. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, again, guys, this is Seth Hicks. I'm going to have his information in the link in this bio. But again, man, so much appreciate your time today, and, and I'm excited to see where things go in the future. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Appreciate see it. you, Seth.